When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks and a move, and we have our last show of 2021. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 137. Well, just ahead, people's waistlines are getting bigger, and so is the sales at Destination XL. We'll talk about the, how this plus-size retailer has crushed it in 2021. And let's take a look at Yellow Corporation, a trucker that's doing a great job with a turnaround and a supply chain challenges that are working to their advantage. And the most promising business unit of scientific instrument maker, Agilent. We're gonna look at what's going on in the bioscience field from this hardware maker with Agilent CEO, Mike McMullen. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy to use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to Drill on any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, you name it. But don't miss a show. Click that subscribe button to make sure you're included in every one of our broadcasts. And the Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got the business stories behind stocks and a move. It's our last chance of the year. Isaac Webster joins me as our executive producer. Uh, Isaac, I thought it'd be a good time to look at some companies that have really, uh, uh, where the stocks have performed in a way that really helps us take notice of the companies underneath right. the stocks. Yeah, well, let's get started. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's look at Destination XL Group. So I'm very excited to hear about this company. I've never heard about it until you brought it up today. It trades under DXLG and shares have gained over 2,100% in 12 months. 2,100%. Yeah, it's fantastic. So if you'd asked anyone a year ago, it would have been Destination XL, it would have been Destination BK, because this thing looked like it was going to go bankrupt. It was a, a retailer of, of plus-size clothing for men that uh, was, you know, as like all retailers, was in a real hard place uh, last year, mostly uh, physical stores, a de minimis online business. Um, and I think it got lumped into the category of companies that looked like it just wasn't going to make it. The stock was getting delisted by the NASDAQ, had fallen to 50 cents a share. But behind the scenes, they were really fixing this business. And if uh, a business analyst had taken some time to really look at this company, I could see some big changes going on. Um, their return on invested capital was terrible. It was negative 18% a year ago. Well, today it's positive 18%, which is fantastic. Um, they use the tools available to them to help them uh, capture some capital, close some stores, make some shifts that they were already making a little more online, more digital connections with their customers, even though they are a physical retail store. Uh, they brought their store count down from 326 to 394 stores. Not a huge uh, decline, but they got rid of some stores that just weren't going to make it. 
And they moved up brand a little bit. They moved from the, the Dockers and Wranglers, which are part of their mix still, and more upscale to North Face, Under Armour, Ralph Lauren. Um, um, uh, what's, the, what's the stupid one with the whales on it? Vineyard Vines. Vineyard Vines. I was like, wait, I know it, I know it, I know it. Yeah, I Vineyard hate that Vines. Stuff. In any case, they moved upscale with that stuff. Vineyard Vines, Ralph Lauren, uh, North Face. Um, and that helped them sort of uh, improve their price points as well as their returns. And they've got some fantastic relationships with their suppliers where they're able to keep their average transaction size, their ATS uh, inventory uh, robust enough to get through this last year. So uh, it was very interesting to watch them kind of turn things around, pay down some debt, pay down $92 million in debt, close some underperforming stores, fix their product mix, fix their connection with customers. So that when they got to a point where uh, at the end of this year, the only thing holding them back was inventory. And even though inventory was down 32%, they saw their turnaround of, of what they had in the store increase greatly. Here is CEO Harvey Cantor. I would say tailored clothing overall is not as strongly positioned as we would hope for. And conversely, uh, Ralph Lauren, Nautica, Vineyard Vines, and which I called out, have been remarkable at their ability to get us ATS in addition to our typical on order. And what our expectation is, is the uh, weather moves, and we're seeing that very much right now where it's getting a little colder. Our outerwear business has kicked in with things like Columbia or North Face. Our sweater business has kicked in. And so we feel, relatively speaking, well-positioned, and we just have to keep receiving goods. Normally, I wouldn't say that, but when you're down 32% in inventory and you're turning 33% faster, you, it's, it's pretty much like a grocery store. And I, I use that as an analogy more than anything else, but we just have to keep goods flowing. So as you can hear, Isaac, uh, you know, what he says is you just got to keep things going, keep things coming in the door so you can keep them coming out the door. But clearly they've made some changes and got their product mix right. Um, you know, one of my favorite stats of the year was from the Levi's CEO who told us that a third of all Americans saw their waistline change during COVID. Well, not all of that was down. And uh, I think that that's uh, Destination XL has benefited from people remaking their wardrobes, also uh, remaking them interestingly into less tailored uh, clothing, which helps them work through inventory a little bit faster with more off-the-rack stuff. It's a pretty impressive comeback. Corey, what is your next drill down? Well, let's look at one of our old friends. A little, little listen. Pat on the back? Patting myself because <laughs> no, one's, no one's here to pat my back. Uh, Builders <laughs> First Source is a company that we focused on in August at 16th. Mm -hmm. That is one of the best performing stocks, big caps, of 2021. Uh, Builders First Source, uh, Builders First Source trades under BLDR shares rose around 98% in a year. Yeah, uh, fantastic. Uh, depending mm -hmm. on how you screen things for big cap stocks, right. top 20, top 25 performer of the year. But a company that we focused on on August 16th, as I mentioned, uh, when the stock was up about 50% already. Um, now it's 16 billion market cap now with, as you mentioned, nearly you know doubling in the last year, doubling in 2021. Um, uh, and w why? Well, the macro is important here, but again, I always want to go back to the micro. It's not just that they were in the right place in the right time. They did the right things in the right place at the right time. This company in particular, making building supplies, home building going through the roof, but a shortage of supplies has hurt a lot of home builders and a lot of building supply companies. These guys saw this coming. They saw the labor shortages coming and they changed the way they operate by prefabbing more parts in the, in the, in the housing construction business. Most houses are what they called stick built, which is they ship the lumber out to the site. They break out the saws, they measure it, they cut it. Hopefully they measure twice, cut once. 
Grandpa Johnson used to say, measure twice, cut once, saw it there, stick built house, frame the house there on site. Well, you need skilled workers to do that. And that's one of the things lacking in the building world right now and across the economy right now. So these guys figured out we can do it ourselves. We can prefab a lot of the components for these houses, build them at our builder's first source supply, sell them to the housing, the builders already built so they can slap these houses up without the, having to deal with the labor shortages uh, that might have otherwise prevent the houses uh, from being built. And as a result, these specialty components allowed the, this company, Builders First Source, to outgrow a rapidly growing industry. Here from his interview with us on August 16th of this year is Builders First CEO, Builders First Source CEO, David Flitman. Yeah, we've seen a great adoption of, of these components, uh, which, which means by definition less stick, stick framing that's actually happening on, uh, on the homes. And importantly, you know, what we've seen is, is that has accelerated. In our most recent quarter, we reported a 58% organic growth in our components business across wow. the country. That's opposite single family homes uh, starts, which was up just under 42%. So we are outpacing the market with, with these unique and innovative solutions. And it's because of what we just said, you know, there's less skilled labor, uh, the challenges are there and the demand has never, never been greater. And so we're excited about it and we've got a long runway of growth because you know as as happy as i am and pleased as, as we've been about that growth there's still a tremendous opportunity to penetrate the market innovative labor solutions yeah i mean this had to be one of my favorite interviews you did this year really yeah because um, i mean it was an un, unsuspecting interview to me like when I, you know, I didn't know you much about those. You always say that. Whenever we finish an interview, you're like, that was really interesting. I'm like, they're all interesting. If <laughs> well, you look you know, at the companies, they're interesting. Well, listen, I booked it for a reason. But, you know, when you, but not always, you're not always going to get an interesting, insightful interview like that. Like yeah, we these did. guys are super clever and they're right. really approaching this business um, in, a, in an intelligent way that's helping yeah. them turn some things around. Well, Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at yellow. Yellow. Yellow trades under Yell, Y-E-L-L, and shares rose 177% in a year. Yeah, fantastic gainer for this uh, trucker, particularly less than uh, full truckload shipping is what they specialize in. Now, there's, of course, this is once again, it's a chance we look at the macro and look at the micro. The macro, of course, is that shipping rates are through the roof. Supply chain is low. Anyone, uh, companies are willing to pay up, uh, individuals, are, individuals are willing to pay up to get the things that they want, uh, and that has benefited this company. But this is another company that looked like it was uh, in trouble a year ago, but in fact, they were in the midst of a, you know, kind of in the tail end of a long-term turnaround, merging a couple of brands together, adding new technologies to these companies, and it's less than truckload business. It's all about logistics and managing the technologies, managing your warehouses. They've got hundreds of warehouses and shipping facilities across the country. Um, but they were in the midst of this long-term uh, turnaround when, when COVID hits. And the stimulus hits. And they took advantage of the stimulus. The payroll do, uh, 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 protection program allowed them to defer payroll tax payments into 2021 and 2022. That allowed them to increase their cash flow or keep their cash flow. And they use that to accelerate the purchase of equipment in 2020. Well, in 2020, you could buy tractor trailers like crazy, and they did. So they're updating their technology. They're merging these brands under a single roof, uh, so to speak. And they're also buying new tractor trailers. Well, in 2021, you couldn't buy tractor trailers and you couldn't buy cars and you couldn't buy the supply chain shortages really hit that industry. These guys had already updated their fleet. So not only did they have uh, the trucks that they needed during this crucial time, 
They also had newer trucks that operated more efficiently, had less downtime, used less fuel. So it helped their profit margins, even as they're able to take price because they've got labor shortages of their own. So business came roaring back in 2021. Supply chains were tight, yes, but they did the purchasing new tractor trailers in 2020, so they got the benefits in 2021. Just as they're able to jack up shipping rates, uh, CFO Dan Oliver had some interesting comments in their most recent conference call. We've taken delivery of all of the new equipment. That's obviously the first piece, and that goes into service right away. So the benefit we expect to see from the, the new tractors, whether that's lower maintenance cost, or better fuel efficiency, efficiency. We start seeing that on day one, and then there's that lag time that we're we're uh, we're probably sixth, seventh inning in of purging all of the old stuff, and along with that comes the cost of getting that to where it needs to be, pulling it out of service, all of those types of things. But you know, we should be completed with you know that replacement exercise here in the next you know three, four, five months or so. It does take some time to work through that. And there's some costs associated with it, but we absolutely are seeing the, the financial benefit from running all of the new tractors and trailers. So getting rid of those old trucks, purging, always a good idea. Isaac, say you're in a crowded closet. You just got to throw things out. Purge, <laughs> purge. I'm in a crowded closet right now. No one out there listening no. can see it. But behind me, I have all of my mother-in-law's clothes. But um, I wouldn't go to purge anything from here without her permission. No, no, that'd be a that'd be a that'd be a poor poor choice, poor, a spousal move. <laughs> um, in any case, uh, these guys purging their old trucks, taking the benefits of their new trucks, and uh, turning this company in a different direction, pun intended, <laughs> just in time. Okay, coming up next, a really interesting company. Uh, if this was a Silicon Valley startup, I can't imagine what the valuation would be. But instead, it's an old Hewlett Packard spinoff called Agilent. Mike McMullen is the CEO. Look, this is a cutting edge medical technology company making the equipment that makes vaccines, advanced genomic research, drug development. If you want a glimpse of our future, you've got to check out this interview and listen to the really cool things that Agilent is doing um, and wonder kind of where Agilent will sit in the world of medical technology going forward. We've got all that right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. As promised, we are joined right now by Mike McMullen. He's the CEO of Agilent Technologies. Uh, and uh, Mike, uh, Agilent's company that uh, some people know, some people just don't know. Um, it was once spun off from Hewlett Packard, and I am thinking about regret in my career and in my <laughs> life, and how much time I spent as a journalist at CNBC and Bloomberg in particular, devoted to the woes of Hewlett Packard instead of the fantastic successes of what HP spun off in Agilent. Absolutely. Um, I'm not going to say that to butter you up, but our listeners know I'm not nice. <laughs> Uh, you, what Agilent has done That's is That's not what you fantastic. told me before, before I took this call. Oh, they were lying. They were absolutely <laughs> lying. Um, no, I, I, what Agilent has done to grow a business in the medical technology equipment and consumable business is, is frankly what HP has needed all, needed all those years um, and, and what you guys have. How, how would you describe the Agilent business to the uninitiated? 
Yeah, first of all, thanks, uh, Corey, for, for having me on. I really have an opportunity to speak to your listeners. Uh, and if you're not familiar with uh, Agilent uh, Technologies, um, I like to say we're a mission-driven growth company you know, where people and culture matter. Uh, and we serve some really attractive end markets you know, driven by investments in the human condition. We help uh, our biggest mar market is the pharmaceutical market. We have a life sciences uh, business, uh, but we also have a, a growing cancer diagnostics business. And, um, you know, we we help our customers find new ways to uh, detect and treat disease. Um, we make the world a safer place from the air you breathe, the, the food you may be eating or the water you may be drinking. Uh, and before you mentioned uh, uh, HP, um, I actually started my career with uh, Hewlett Packard after I came out of a business school. Uh, and uh, when I became CEO. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah, it was, it's it's uh there were some really great things about the culture. There were some the great people the company. There. Oh, absolutely. The company's a disaster. Well, it was, uh, it was a lot of. I know you'll be nice. Agilent. <laughs> you seem nicer than me. I uh, I I had so much fun covering that companies for so many years because it was it was just a it was just a train wreck from, you know, pre Carly Fiorina days to Carly Fiorina the the mergers with compact and try to, you know, all that. It was just, it was a lot of fun for me as a journalist to cover a company yeah. that continued to trip on its own feet. Yeah. I was and in, yet, I, I was in uh, Japan at the time, 1999, uh, when we, when we split the, split the company. And, uh, at the time, and I still believe it, I think we, we got all the great things about Hewlett Packard, except the name, and we had to build our own brand, but the focus and innovation, the importance of people, importance of culture and really making a difference for our customers, they're for, for success. Uh, in in my day when I joined HP, it was it was the, one of the marvels of the world in terms of companies. And it, but it just shows sure. you, if you lose sight in terms of what are the drivers, what makes your company successful, you lose sight of the marketplace and the competition of customers. You can see what happens. Yeah, I mean you got to earn it every day. And I I don't, um, I, I appreciate your your nice words about culture and how important that stuff is. And I hundred percent agree. Um, that was the heartbreaking thing about what happened mm -hmm. to Hewlett Packard. Is that so many great people who had devoted their lives and their families' lives to that company in a way that I don't know we'll ever see again. But I don't care about that stuff. What I care about is what you, the businesses that you guys are in, you know, because lots of companies can devote themselves to their culture and treating each other equitably and try to solve big problems. But what you guys are actually doing, your business of selling equipment and selling the consumables, consumables that go into that equipment are attached to some really high growth markets. And I think that when I, you know, I think when some people think of Agilent as tied to this very old, decades old uh, technology business, oh. they they don't see if if you guys were right out of the box as a startup. First of all, I think you'd have two or three times the valuation that you have today. But I don't think people can recognize, you know, what a cutting edge business this Agilent oh, business is. Oh, absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. So um, we're innovation innovation driven company. You talk about the M markets we serve. Pharma, biopharma. You ever hear of mRNA? Um, well, um, we yeah. do mRNA therapeutics. So I've got a these little vaccines. Like, I mean, that, to me, that was one of the most amazing yeah. things. Is why would Agilent get destroyed at the end of March when COVID hits? When the very companies, machines who are going to be used to invent vaccines, whether we could get vaccines yeah. or not, were going to be Agilent machines. It seemed like the the, the biggest number as it was as a the great, hey, great it was a great it was a great buying opportunity, wasn't it? it um, uh, and you're amazing. exactly right. Not only do our, our machines and and I had an opportunity to uh, speak uh, at length in terms of the role our team had in, in the fight against COVID nineteen, but you know back to being in some exciting uh, new businesses, pharma, biopharma. We have a whole uh, GMP oligonucleotide business. So what is that? We actually provide the the core ingredient 
for mRNA-based therapeutics. Uh, and that business is on a rocket ride growing uh, uh, really quickly. You think about uh, new areas of, of cancer treatment, oncology, immunotherapy, the tools that are used in terms of research and ultimately in the diagnostic space, they come from, com from Agilent. So we are some fantastic, uh, great end markets. And like I said earlier, my opening comments, all, fired by, all powered by this, uh, if you will, investment in human condition. And if anything, and by the way, I will say that culture is important, but a culture is an enabler to get results. One thing about Agilent right. is we're all about uh, getting the results. And I think our track record speaks for itself. Um, but I, I really believe there's a way you get the results and through your, through your team and the right kind of culture. And by the way, if you're in great M markets, this is, if you win in great M markets, we do well, our shareholders do well, and it feels good to be winning. Um, and it feels good to our team. I really want the Agile team to be proud of the company they work for. And when we, talk, when we tell the stories about how our, our diagnostic tools are used to, for example, for therapy selection on, for all the K-Truda customers, people get really excited about that. You know, we had a, a young lady came in and spoke to uh, our management team, talked about if it wasn't here for the NGS-based solutions that you, that's next, gen, next generation sequencing-based solutions, I wouldn't be here because the test that you ran told me I was a candidate for this therapeutic. So there's a lot to be said about uh, having your team fired up about the mission of the company and really making a 100%. difference in the world. So let's talk about some of these end markets because I, I will say that over the course of people have asked me what I've learned in the, you know, in the few months we've been doing this podcast and 130, 140 plus episodes that we've done nearly. Uh, and, and I have to say the biggest um, revelation to me of the last, really last year, year or two has been the, that while I covered technology and mm -hmm. software and semiconductors right, right. for so many years of my career, and that's how I thought of tech, I, I truly believe that we're at a point right now where you're going to see cancer treatments, uh, genomics, proteomics, um, uh, and, and diagnostics related to all those things um, as the big growth market in what we might have once called technology uh, in the next decade plus, because we're seeing the benefits of decades of investment particularly around genomics right. and understanding genomics so that we're getting targeted therapies of all kinds. When you guys look at, you've got a, a part of your business called the Diagnostics and Genomics Group. How do you try to, you know, latch yourself onto that rocket and, and understand where that world is going? Yeah. So first of all, we have to, it starts with having a real talented team inside the company, but it also is, it starts with uh, making sure you have all the right contacts outside the company, working with KLLs, stay, KOLs, staying close to your customers, um, we have a lot of external uh, collaborations in terms of, of, of technology development. So we, I think we got a really good pulse in terms of, of where the markets are going. Um, and I, 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 want, I want to back up yeah, to yeah. the di diagnosis. When you say KOLs, you mean a key opinion key leader, leaders. Yeah. So I was trying those to, people who are sort of trying to show us what, what, what's being worked on and who those yeah, people you know, are, the, who's influencing purchasing and research. Decisions. Absolutely. So we have a whole program, a thought leader program, and we're working with some of the leaders like in cell therapy, gene therapy. So we have a really good sense of, of where the market's going. Uh, one of the things, uh, back to Hewlett Packard, um, I've maintained a basic long-term research lab, Agilent Labs, and they're all about looking for where technology is going in terms of what value can be delivered to our customers. So you're, you're exactly right. I mean, there's been a, a long, a number of years and decades uh, of a uh, period of time where innovation investments are going on in research tools. Um, and this is what we do, you know, mass spectrometry, chromatography, all, all you know, a whole series of technology um, 
portfolio we have across the company. But now what you're seeing is that being deployed not only in research, but all, all, ultimately into the diagnostics area as well. And I think this is really is the future. Um, this is why we're so excited about the growth prospects of the company. But I also want to leave your audience with another important, and you hit it at the very beginning of our of our talk, which is in addition to instrumentation, um, we also have a, a very large services business because we're also finding that you need to help your customers not only with the science of the labs, but the economics of the labs. So uh, we've got a big recurring uh, services business as well, in addition to you know a recurring business around consumables and other diagnostic tests. So there, there are some really, um, we have a very broad-based portfolio um, and um, right. it, it, I can't emphasize enough the importance of being in exciting end markets where there's growth. Well, so let's take that apart a little bit. So when you talked about sort of going from research to diagnostics, what you're talking about is going from maybe a thousand machines of a certain type sold to what? 50,000? Yeah, multiples. I mean, is that kind of what we're multiples of the machines, but all, even more importantly, the consumables that go with it to actually run sure. the diagnostic test. Um, so for that in research, there aren't that many use cases. The machine isn't used as much, but when it's a diagnostic test, it's it's like cracking paper through a printer and go to go back to our HP analogy. Exactly, or or you move into uh, or you move into a QAQC environment. For example, all of our machines are used for the QAQC for vaccines. So when the production ramps, you know they they need instruments, but they also need the consumables to support the support their work. But that's a whole play with diagnostics, which in addition to placing the instruments, you get a, a an acceleration of of uh, consumables tied to that. Now we've seen that uh, in the last. 10 years, maybe less in genomics, right? Where, where the first, uh, the mapping of the first human genome took, you know, a billion dollars in 20 years. And now you do it, you know, spit in a tube for 23 and me mm -hmm. and you get your result for a couple hundred bucks and, a, and it could be done in, in hours, right? Um, it takes, you know, that process takes a little longer, but the yeah. process doesn't take longer. The mailing and all that other stuff takes longer. I wonder um, if you think we're going to get to that point when it comes to sort of other types of therapies, such as I don't know whether it's actual therapies and treatments um, beyond diagnostics in in those things. Yeah, I think the the use cases for the technologies are still emerging, um, and um, you know it's very very clear that um, NGS based diagnostics is going to be be a big part of uh, cancer treatments in the future. Um, there's some companies out there. How so? Give me give me an example of what. Well, for example, like. we just we just acquired a company uh, last year, a great a great team uh, out of uh, uh, Seattle, Washington area, Resolution Bio, um, and they have what they call liquid biopsy. So you're probably familiar with right now. Uh, typically, when you go in for uh, a cancer test, if your doctor may believes you may have cancer, you go in and actually have to give a piece of your body, if you will, your tissue. It's called IHC, and there's a test on that. Well, the idea of liquid biopsy, it's non-invasive. You actually go in uh, and get a blood test, and from that blood test, um, you can see see what's going on. Now, in the, in the case of where we're focused, it's gonna be on what they call therapy selection. So, um, as you know, there's now the whole emergence of precision medicine, which we haven't really even talked about uh, today, um, where a particular treatment is targeted at you as an individual before a physician will prescribe a particular therapeutic to uh, uh, treat your cancer, you have to know whether it's going to work for you. And the way it's done right now is through a sample of your of tissue, as I mentioned earlier. But the whole idea of liquid biopsy, NGS-based liquid biopsy, is it's done in a non-invasive way. So we're playing, our play here is we're going to be in the, what they call therapy selection side of cancer diagnostics, as well they call MRD. Uh, throwing a lot of terms out of here, but it's the minimal residual disease. So in other words, 
um, you've been treated, has it come back or not? So this is, right. I mean, unfortunately, so many of us have been touched uh, by by cancer, either with friends or, or family. And to be part of a solution here is just really energizing uh, for our team. And I will say it's also going to be, it presents a great growth opportunity for the company. Why is that happening now? Why is it happening in 2021, 2022? I really do feel like this is a, a critical point uh, in that battle against cancer. Well, I think what's happened is, I mean, it's 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 not an overnight success, right? It's the it's a byproduct of the uh, ongoing development of new therapies in in the in the pharmaceutical companies, particularly fueled by by the biotech companies, and also the evolution of a uh, product from companies like Agilent, where historically they were only used in, in research areas, and and the technology can now be used as part of an overall therapy um, selection program, as I mentioned earlier. But in general, there's a much more of a push of our tools into the healthcare-focused arena. In fact, uh, last year, Agilent um, hired its first ever chief medical officer as an indication of where we're going as a company. It's interesting. Yeah, pharma and biotech in the last quarter, 36% of sales Whereas diagnostics and clinical end markers, which I guess we can kind of lump that together at 15%. It sounds like what you're suggesting is that ultimately the diagnostics and clinical end markets will grow to be a much larger part of the pie than pharma and bio because pharma and bio is kind of is at the at the uh, the entrance to that funnel, but not the uh, not the giant end where everything else. Yeah, is I mean, gonna, I think there's still uh, going to be up. a really healthy spend in in uh, the R and D side of, of biopharma, but you know that's the long term bet with the company. And if you and if you look at the um, look at the combination of, of our biopharma, pharma, and diagnostics business, you know it's well over half of the company. And the profile of the company has really changed over the last six or seven years. One thing I'd also mention, we haven't touched about on this at all. We also service the what I call the safety markets, you know, food safety, environmental testing, as well as the the chemical and energy any energy markets. Which, and um, there, it's a nice leverage play for us, where these core technologies that I've been talking about that have been developed for the pharmaceutical markets are also can be used and are applicable to the other end markets we serve as well. I told you I wasn't going to talk about stocks, and I don't really care about stock price and things, but. As you grow the business and you look across the competitive landscape, you see, you know, darling stocks like Illumina, darling companies like Illumina, which is growing at a fantastic rate, but it's got twice the price to sales to yours. When you look at the growth rates assigned to or the valuation uh, assigned to some of those much smaller companies that have interesting diagnostic solutions, does that just exclude them from the notion you might ever want to acquire businesses like that? that you've got to kind of grow in places that they're not? Yeah, well, we've actually, we have, we've been executing what we call a build and buy grow strategy. Um, and um, historically, Agilent, uh, back to the Hewlett-Packard roots, was very focused on internal innovation and R&D investment. And we still invest more than our, our average our peers in, in R&D. But as we really have built this company up, we've been also buying, adding, you know, fast growing um, um uh, segments, uh, fast-growing companies with great teams in segments of the market where they have a, a technological edge uh, out there already. So I mentioned uh, ResBio, for example, in liquid biopsy. Right. We also built a $400 million-plus cell analysis business, which really all is all through acquisition. So we see acquisition as part of our overall story, um, but um, you know, you know, we want to make sure that we stay in in the, the part of the market for M&A that really works for us, uh, and that is making sure that we. Uh, we don't overpay for things uh, that we really focus in the private space where um, many of the founder companies, the founders of these companies are very much um, attracted to having their team become 
of course they want a fair price, but uh, be have their dream uh, be a part of of Agile. No, sellers sellers don't want a fair price. <laughs> sellers want obscene prices. <laughs> the, the the multiples. That's why you have to stay disciplined right now. The multiples are a little bit odd, but I think you I mean high, but you're starting to see some some movement backwards. I think until you get eventually, you got to you got to you got to trade at your intrinsic value. So it's uh, it's it's just fascinating that, again that you see a company that's all it's getting all the buzz like an Illumina, like my friends at Sear, right? Which are doing which are on the we, edge we of some guys, really yeah, interesting yeah. things. Yeah, and yet, uh, you know, but but you're saying that the the public company acquisition is a less likely route for you. Yeah, no, we're going we're gonna to stay in the private space. That's where we do real well. We've been, um, uh, we've done, and our shareholders really like the types of deals we've been doing. Uh, and listen, you know, we, we've we've had our own run, nice run in terms of where how the, the market cap of the company has gone from, I think it was like 10 or 12 billion when I came in to, Mid, mid 40s, close to 50. So yeah. we, we, we have a model that works. We're going to outgrow the market. We're going to continue work on our margins um, and then use our, you know, if you've looked at our balance sheet, you know, we have a really strong balance sheet and we're going to continue use that in, in what we call a balanced way. Um, but I would tell you, I think the secret sauce of the company's success um, is, is the culture and the team. Um, and um, I always say great results don't happen by accident. And it's how you work as one team, you collaborate, and I always tell my team the uh, the goal of collaboration, not collaboration. The goal of collaboration is, is great results. And, and we've got, the, I think, the operating margin up 700 basis points since we started what I called the new Agile. Yeah. I became a CEO. I think we doubled our organic uh, growth rate. Uh, and we're really um, looking to deploy more capital to add even uh, more fast-growing businesses to Agile. It's, 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 it's a sight to behold. And, and to your point, I think when the work that you're doing is not figuring out, I don't know, new kinds of emojis, but actually figuring out how to cure disease oh, absolutely. And, and, and give people better quality of life. It's got to motivate everybody oh, up and down the team. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, my, my, that, that was my journey into, into HP and, and Ashland. You know, I'd, I'd gone to business school in Philadelphia, Penn, and, you know, at Wharton, you go to Wall Street and consulting. They're like, okay, uh, I really, I, I decided to turn that down and, and go work for HP because I really wanted to be you know, part of a mission driven company. Um, and and I would tell you where, where people and culture matter. And I would just a quick story here, uh, Corey, is, you know, um, pandemic hits. Um, I wasn't around in 1918, so I have no idea <laughs> what happened 100 years ago. So there was no real real playbook here for us to operate under. Um, so we went back to our core values um, and as our guiding principle. And one of the first things we did back in March of, what was it, two, 2020, we, we guaranteed everybody's job. Um, we said your health and safety is number one. Um, there'll be nobody laid off because of COVID-19. There'll be no, anybody will lose their, their base salary. Um, and then the second thing you need to do is answer the call for our customers. And for us, that was a real defining moment for the company because I like to say everybody has great slides. They tell you how great their team is and they have a, you know, pictures of all the smiling employees and our people are really important. What do you do when you have a crisis? And I think we, sh we demonstrated that to our team, um, you know, during the, the COVID-19 outbreak. And and um, we've been continuing to receive very high marks from our team. Our, our employee engagement is really off the chart, best in class. And why is that important? That translates into great results. So I think if you create the right environment uh, with your team, clearly you have to have the right strategy. Uh, if you've got the right environment, the right team, and the right strategy, you, you win in the market. Mike McMullen is the CEO of Agilent. Mike, thanks for your time. We really appreciate You're it. You're quite welcome, Corey. With the, with the drill down continues, we're going to have that one number that tells us a whole lot about Agilent. That's right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And maybe you got a smart speaker for the holidays. 
take that thing to a test. Asset Smart Speaker to play the drill down podcast. You get behind the very latest business news behind stocks on the move. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the drill down bite that one number that tells us a whole lot. Isaac, uh, as I mentioned, this company, um, what they're doing is fascinating. The rate at which they are growing shows that they're really capturing market share here. In particular, I'm interested in the diagnostics and genomics group. Um, it did $1.3 billion in revenues last year in, in, in fiscal 2021. But here's that bite, the growth rate of that diagnostics and genomics group at Agilent grew at 24% year over year. Again, that's on a $1.3 billion uh, revenues uh, in the last year, growing at 24%. Uh, just fascinating growth in this area that is so important for the future of medicine and cancer diagnosis and genomics. And these guys are right there making the gear and the consumables that's going to grow that field. It, and also, you know, you can't help but listen to this CEO and walk away with a little bit of confidence and, and we'll at least know why investors are confident in his leadership. Yeah. And I think that, I think that we're, we're going to see a different level of um, um, innovation in medical technology and in, in, in uh, particularly in cancer and Alzheimer's. And we're going to see that stuff just skyrocket in the next 10 years because these machines are going from schools to the, to the labs, to, to the actual labs where the stuff's being put to work. That's going to mean big growth for this company and its competitors. Uh, as well as uh, big developments um, in those fields. All right, you've been listening to the Drill Down Podcast. We are so grateful for having you with us today and indeed all of 2021. It's been a big one, but wait till next year, even bigger. Thanks to Isaac Webster, our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our executive, our editor extraordinaire, I should say. Grateful for both of you guys. Nikki is that dog barking in the background. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.